Welcome, everyone, to Punchface VIP show. I, I We're still figuring out what we're going to call it. Punchface VIP hour, Punchface VIP betting show, Punchface VIP, the most accurate MMA podcast in the world. I'm Joshua Chauvin. It's good to see you guys. It has been a while. It has been about a month since UFC has been out of our lives. UFC didn't always do this, but I feel like for about the past, pretty much since COVID, they started taking a month off around Christmas. They used to do a massive card kind of around New Year's Eve. Not so much anymore. Like I said, ever since COVID, UFC never had an off season. Now we kind of get a month off season, which is fine. I, I don't I don't mind them doing that. Like I said, we never used to have an off season before. We do now. We are back from the off season. We have a card this week. We have a pay-per-view next week. Lee. Maha and our special guest Dominic. How are we doing, guys? Whichever one of you wants to jump in. How were your holidays? Good to see you. What's up? Good. Happy New Year. Lee, how are things going on on the East Coast? Did you you didn't if you would have come back to the Quad Cities for Christmas, we would have hung out. So I'm guessing that you did not. How are things on the East no, Coast? No, uh, it's it's there's no snow on the ground. So I, I'm glad I wasn't back in the in the Quad Cities because you guys got what 14 inches now. Uh, something like that, yeah, a lot. That's the first time Josh ever heard that. You know that's for sure. I actually thought that was going to be Maha. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of fucking snow here. Uh, I've been back in the Quad Cities for about two and a half years after growing up here, spending my childhood here. This is by far the most snow we've gotten since I've been back, maybe ever. I, of my time living here, we got absolutely smashed with the blizzard. I thought the Bulldog Arms, the bar that I work at once a week and go to multiple times a week, was going to close. No, they literally, they the owners literally laughed at me when I'm like, "Are we going to close?" They're like, "No, why would we close? This is the best day to be open because everyone's going to be off work." So, sure enough, I, I bartended yesterday. We were pretty busy. It was nuts. All the schools closed. Half the businesses closed, and it was a lot of snow. Um, Maha, does it? It snows where you're at in, in Cincinnati, right? It snows sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we get similar weather to you guys, I think. Um, <laughs> I mean, it hasn't snowed here yet. It's been like a dusting snow. once. Nah, you guys don't. Uh, we don't. I mean, blizzard conditions now, but I mean, it snows. Like sat last Saturday, we got like a dusting of snow, and that's been. It's pretty been a pretty mild winter here, for the most part. How was uh, how was your how was your holidays? Wonderful, man. Just spent it with the kid. You know, he turned ten in December, nine days before Christmas. I mean, that's always yeah, a challenge that, because though. you know you have a kid that. Oh yeah, yeah. We went to the um, uh, Minnesota Vikings versus um, Cincinnati Bengals game. I didn't know that, that was his first game ever he'd been to. What? I didn't know that. 
Yeah, um, he enjoyed it. He didn't like the loud noises. He didn't like the crowd noise. Actually, like Cincinnati's got like um, um, they're really coming along with like they're just the fan experience and stuff, and it's it is super loud in that stadium. Used to not be, you know, back when the Bengals were horrible in the '90s and early 2000s. Well, it's not loud when there's only the Joe Burrow era is in strong effect. Did they win that game? Or lose <laughs> yeah. that game? Did they win or lose that game? That was what a week and a half ago or two and a half weeks ago, something like that. Um, they they won in overtime. Okay, cool. All right, let me get to our special guest. I'll intro him real quick. He is a dear friend of mine. The uh, Davenport, Iowa. The Quad Cities has a pretty impressive MMA organization. I would it's it's I would say it's up there with probably like maybe like Cage Warriors or LFA as far as quality. Obviously, not the level of like a UFC, a Bellator, or a PFL, but yeah, a pretty decent little promotion there. And I am announcing the fights beside Pat Militech and the. It's they did a three night card, so twelve fight fight card on Thursday, twelve fights on Friday, twelve fights on Friday on Saturday. I was there to announce them all, and my first night announcing the co-main event was a local kid named Dominic the Heat Martin. He won his fight. It was an interesting fight. It's a back and forth fight. It was a fascinating fight for as long as it lasted, and then I was very impressed with him as a fighter. And then he came right over, I think, to say to something to Pat or. Goodwin or something, and then I started talking to him, and uh, we the relationship has uh, blossomed since then, both with him and his girlfriend, who we're going to talk to in a second, a guy that I'm a big fan of, not only as a professional fighter, but also as a person. Dominic, welcome to the show. Tell him about yourself, and it's good to see you, brother. Thanks for having me, guys, and uh, I appreciate you bringing me on and bringing Kat on as well. I know it's been a while since we talked, and uh, it's probably been what four or five months or so since i've moved out of the quad city so i moved out just in time to avoid all that snow that you're getting right now because nashville hasn't snowed once yet we're scheduled for a little bit on monday but it shouldn't be too bad yeah you guys probably get you get a you get a little bit and then it melts right maybe like once or twice a year yeah but if it touches the ground they close everything everything closes that's that's the south so talk about why did you move back to Nashville? What have you been, what have you and Kat been doing there? And uh, how are you guys doing? Well, I moved back from Nashville to Davenport originally to help out my dad. He was dealing with some medical issues that he was trying to figure out what was going on. We finally got down to the root of it and we were able to um, cool. utilize our time elsewhere and get back to a place that we love to be and also had a lot of opportunity here that was kind of left behind that moving back gave me the opportunity to to go forth with and really expand not only myself in business but uh as a person as well with a lot of the relationships i have in the area it's a lot of intelligent fast moving people in this neck of the woods because the city it's more of a demanding city. I mean, it's it might seem small to a lot of people when they come here, but the amount of tourism and business that it attracts, especially whenever you bring in high level anything, everything else must be high level around it too. So with the music industry being top of the line, top of the world, everybody in country music in the world comes here to record. You have to have 
top of the line hotels, top of the line food services, top of the line gyms for them to work out at, top of the line producers to shoot their music videos, top of the line valets in order to park their cars, top of the line mechanics to work on all this. So it just elevates a whole city whenever you have an elite industry of some sort. A lot like Davenport in a lot of ways, um, people overlook John Deere being in the Quad Cities, but John Deere makes it so a lot of people in the Quad Cities can live a good life on factory work, and that gets overlooked a lot, is how much factory work is done there, and they're paid well. and It, it sucks, but they're paid well, so it's compensated well. <clears throat> what would you say that the top, how long were you, what is, what, so did you, did you, did you grow up there or did you grow up in the Quad Cities or uh, how, how much time had you spent in Nashville before you moved to the Quad Cities and now you've moved back to Nashville? I grew up in Maha's neck of the woods. I actually grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So just north of Cincinnati, up, up on the Great Mistake by the way. Yeah. Um, I lived in Nashville for about five years or so. Me and Kat met, I believe, three years or four years, or one or two years into me living here. So we knew each other for about three years, moved to Davenport, and then we were there for about a year and a half before we moved back. Talk about your gym there in Nashville. I know that there are several, uh, several UFC fighters that uh, have gone through there and i know that was a big reason that you moved back how are things going at the at the gym i see footage of both you and cat working out sparring rolling there how are things going at the gym yeah so i currently train at a place called team sean hammonds here in nashville or uh here in nashville we uh we do a lot of mma um but primarily the gym that i'm associated with is a jiu-jitsu gym at one time, they were 23rd in the world in jiu-jitsu, and for having 56 total black belts or so um, just in like this region, that is a rather impressive thing when it comes to jiu-jitsu. There are gyms in California that have 100 black belts that kind of just cycle people through the system. So for us to have the genuine numbers that we have and the genuine championships that we have, it's a rather impressive culture that uh, Sean Hammonds has built in this facility. Talk about what is it like being a fighter? You are, how many professional fights do you have? Six, I'm four and two, with okay. a possible seventh on the way. So look out for that. Okay. okay, did you have any amateur fights before that? Yeah, yeah, I had uh, 34 amateur fights. Get out of here, really? Yeah, yeah. I I fought in four states in twenty three days. I've got a that one point as an amateur. So I have I have two questions yet. So talk about being a fighter. How did that happen? What's it like being a fighter? Talk about your passion for that and how you how you found yourself to how you found yourself on the journey to becoming a professional cage fighter uh co-maining that mma event in davenport where i where i met you talk about your passion for that and what's it like being a professional fighter what's it like making that walk out to the caves what's it like training what's 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 that what's that whole entire world like 
Uh, I've told the story a couple times with you before, so I'll skip the, you know, the boring parts. I got beat up when I was a kid. My bike got stolen. My dad put me in boxing. I learned how to fight. <laughs> Eventually, I found myself to a gym called Ekim's in East Moline, Illinois, where the owner of the gym had his own MMA show and was actually at an American Legion, so it was a real small event center. And during the show, there was a lot of people packed in there. I'm 15 years old. I'm fighting somebody that was two, three years older than me or something like that. And I ended up winning. Yeah. Yeah. My first three or four fights at 15 years old. Yeah. I never heard of that. Was, that was, that was in East Moline. Yeah. I yep. never heard of that. Sorry. That's, that's just, that's, that that's, that's like, God, a movie. I wish, I wish I could remember the name of the promotion that it was actually called. But I've heard of like them. I've heard of them having fights in like strip clubs they, and it was like Quad City beatdowns. Yeah, they yeah, got fights in strip clubs. Quad, just, after Quad City beatdown. Anyway, go on. That's that that that's crazy. Yeah, there. Once you put a cage in an American Legion, I can't imagine there's much room for anything else. But yeah, you sold two tables, and the rest was just general admission. That's pretty much how that went. But yeah, I. Fought on those shows. I ended up finding myself at Militich Fighting System because everybody said that's where, you know, the best in the world trained. It was just right across the river, like a 10-minute drive from me. So, well, actually, at the time, it was like a 45-minute drive. Drove over there, got beat up for a couple months, kept fighting, ended up getting some fights on Indian reservations when I was 17 and uh, was, you know, lying about my age to fight on the Indian reservation because they weren't looking up your age and stuff and I fight, fight those fights. I find myself being successful. I met Spencer Fisher. He, you know, traveled around with me, showed me some of the ropes. And uh, they say the rest is history, but we're still writing the story. So we'll see where the history books go. And talk about that. Talk about what is your next step. I know because I follow you on social media and talk to you occasionally. I know that you've kind of teased a boxing fight you've teased an mma fight you've teased a grappling match what's uh what's going on with all that and what's what are what are some of your next next steps in the fight game so i'm actively currently training uh to compete in the adcc tournament right now is so this year 2024 will be adcc finals and then next year will be another qualifier so next year i will compete to qualify for adcc and then the year after that, hopefully, I will compete to be one of the best grapplers in the world. But until then, um, as far as the boxing fights go, I just, I'm just i waiting on offers for that. I have some offers that come through thanks to the contacts that I got to know in the Quad Cities and all the people that are around there. Because the Quad Cities has a, a very good boxing scene and a lot of boxers that are on the come up that are promoting themselves and, and doing a lot of things right. So I've... I try to support them and, and thus they support me and also the money, you know, kind of supports itself when it comes to the offers that I have seen just the matchups that they they're offering don't exactly line up with what I want my first boxing fight to be. So until then I've had a couple fights come in with MMA. Um, I'm looking forward to getting back in the cage later this year and getting back to work. That's exciting. Lee Maha, can you ask Dominic a question each, and then we will talk about some upcoming fights, and then we will uh, move on. Yeah, I so I, I did scroll through your topology, and I watched a couple of your fights today after 
Chauvin was saying that you were that you were going to be on, and um, I, I was I was impressed. But I, one thing I did notice, like when I was scrolling through, I saw you know I saw your six pro fights, and but then I saw like the plethora of amateur fights that you had. So so what took you so long to like make the jump from amateur to to pro MMA fights? Well. That is a phenomenal question, and this is where shit gets spicy, and I'm glad you fucking asked that one. So, uh, bad mentorship is what I'm going to say on that one. Now that I'm older and I don't give a shit what people think about me, uh, when it comes down to it, this fight game, it's relentless. And people, they want you in a moment in time to be an object, essentially for their consumption. And if... In, in one way, shape, or form, fans in the moment want to consume your entertainment through the fight. Promoters want to consume your value through putting you in the fight. And gyms want to consume your value through having you there to publicize that we have all these things just to, to make themselves get in a situation that benefits them. And within the moment of you not being worth that same amount to them, they're going to cut you. So as far as what, what kept me from going pro for so long, it was definitely bad leadership, bad mentorship. And I want to preface that with none of that came from people in or around Militich fighting system. All of my coaches I ever experienced at a young age while I was inside Militich, from Spencer to Jens to Pat, everybody that was around that gym at the time of me coming up, all great people and all told me the dead honest truth about the sport all the way through. It was once that gym dispersed and I started having to find my own way. That's when I started to figure out the relentlessness of the gym, whether it's your coworkers, whether it's the gym managers, anything. And that's what brought me back really to Sean Hammond's jujitsu is because Sean has no intention beyond making us better individuals. That's what we're here for. So yeah, that's what took that's, me so long. Was people telling me that I had to do this or I had to do that and everything had to be perfect and, and all, you know, you had to sleep on the mats and show that, that you want to do this and that. And it's nonsense, man. Fight, if you're, right. if you're an and amateur, so, so fight, I, I'm sorry, if you're an amateur fighter out there right now and you're listening to this, don't have more than 10 to 15 fights as an amateur or you're wasting your fucking time and value. Or just stay an amateur and fucking take ticket sales and go to the bank and shut up. Okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, so, like, just watching this podcast, I've always seen Pat. He's, like, a big proponent of not jumping forward too early. So, if he's telling you, you know, you're ready to make that leap, then I, I would trust that. Because he's always, you know, everything that I've heard from Pat, he's always, you know, take one step at a time this is too early for you. This is too, you know, this is too much for you to take on at this time in your career. So, I mean, yeah. So I totally agree with what you said. I mean, um, 30 some pro fights is probably, or, or 30 some amateur fights is probably a little extensive. I'd, I'd yeah. Say. And especially um, in the way that I took some of them for sure. Right. And the other question I had for you is like, and I always ask anybody this that has ever stepped foot in a cage what made you want to do that? Like, what was your, what was, what was the first thing that struck in your mind that you were like, I want to step in a cage with another person that wants to rip my head off. And 
<laughs> like <laughs> no, nobody ever asked that one before like what made me initially want to actually step into a cage i have no clue this is actually I, some I, i've actually met some like pro fighters mma fighters ufc fighters that that they like look at me like wait a second what yeah, like, it, I I, like it almost like almost like i've i've asked something that's like earth shattering i think somebody one day just <laughs> asked me if i wanted to fight in a cage and they're like hey i got this fight coming up and do, are you interested in doing it and i was like uh sure yeah i'm training you know like let's let's go find out and you end up doing well and it goes well so you keep doing it and you find out you're good at it well I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're in the scene I mean, if you're not training, you're not in a gym all the time, nobody's ever going to, you know, uh, approach you. Approach you, yeah. yeah. Lee, did you have a question uh, for well, Dom? I you know, know that I, you I just Dom wanted to you. make a few comments. I, I mean, I, I spent 12 years in the music business, and, and you brought up, you know, music a little bit. I, I mean, a lot of it's the same, you know, uh, talking about, producers versus promoters and and you know having your value and knowing your worth um because it's the same in the music business i mean people are hey you know why don't you you play this show and, and promote yourself and we're not going to pay you and and you know it, it's kind of that fine line between amateurs and and professionals so yeah i just i just wanted to comment on that yeah, and I will, I know, so Dominic, we have you for about 10 more minutes. Is that correct? It's like, uh, can, is there any way we can make it five and then you can talk yeah, to Kat for like yeah. five minutes or so? And, okay, do you, you know, Kat, does, Kat said uh, never mind because uh, she really wants to work out, so. Does, does, does Kat also have to leave at like 6.55 or? Yeah. Oh, she does. Okay, okay. So yeah. I, will, I will ask you one more question then we'll get Kat on. So. Mike versus McGregor. You have trained with uh, with several uh, with several UFC uh, high level fighters. I know that you have trained with Chandler. Chandler finally gets what he wanted. Connor has not made it easy on him. Connor continues to act like uh, somewhat of a spoiled brat. Now he's made Chandler wait a very long time to actually fight. Now it seems that. Knock on wood, knock on cage, knock on canvas. They do have a fight, I believe, in July. He's going to make him fight at 185, which is a little bit crazy for a guy who's pretty much always fought at 155. But whatever, you have a relationship with Chandler. What do you think about this fight? How do you think that it goes? And what are your thoughts on the whole Connor thing? And uh, it's it, uh, whatever happens, it should be should be entertaining i guess i'll lead with this is the fight game and anything can happen conor mcgregor is a phenomenal puncher and michael chandler recently just kicked tony ferguson's face off of his face so um to say that he's not a good striker too would be outrageous he trains with one of the best striking coaches in the world and he trains with some of the best people in the world in one of the best gyms in the world same can be said for conor mcgregor I can tell you from personal experience, Michael Chandler is probably the most athletic person I've, I've ever felt physically in my life. Wow. Um, he, he is a freak of nature. He's the type of dude that can do a pull-up, like a muscle-up, throw himself over the, the pull-up bar, grab a medicine ball that was thrown at him, throw it back to his partner, catch himself on the bar, and then do it again. 
What? For reps. I'm not bullshitting you. Scroll on his Instagram long enough. You will see a video of him doing it. He's a freak of nature. I had him in a belly to back position. I picked him up off the ground. And then while I had control of him in the air, he did a cartwheel. That's With insane. nothing touching the ground, he cartwheeled himself. So he's a freak of nature. When it comes down to it, I, I love Mike and I have a lot of respect for Mike. I think he respects uh, honesty enough for me to say that if he doesn't fight his game, he'll probably lose his fight. If, if he goes in there and he tries to uh, strike with the striker, he's going to get struck, plain and simple. He's got to go in there. He's got to push it to the, to the cage. He's got to push that distance, wear him out, and then late, you know, start implementing that game plan that he should, he should be working on. Yeah, that's um, – I have uh, goosebumps. I cannot – I literally – yeah, I, that is uh, – that's awesome. All right, that was the highlight. One more question that we'll get count on. What do you think about the weight difference? I think a lot of it's Connor playing games. Connor has No, nah, getting- I think – I don't think it, it's anything like that. And I'm going to just make this quick because i got to get out of here, actually. Okay. Um, this is plain and simple. It comes down to the fact that they both are so rich and they have so much money. Who the fuck would cut the weight anyways? Like, what's the point of cutting weight? People are going to watch it. They both walk around around 200 – like, Connor's around 210 pounds usually. Like, that's his, like just waking up when he's out of camp weight. So when he's getting ready to cut to 55, he's probably around 85. So he okay. he can very easily make that weight. Connor is very easily coming off that steroid buff to get down. So I think it's just them not wanting to cut weight and still get paid ridiculous amounts of money. Like, why would you cut? What's the difference in 30 pounds when we're talking about $5 million? Like, fuck it, man. I, I don't, I'm not cutting any more weight. Fuck that All weight right. cut. All right. All right, you got me. You got me fired up, Dominic. It was great seeing you, buddy. Let's get a uh, cat on for a little. For, I love uh, for you guys. No, I love the you too. Lioness. We'll get you on. We'll get you on soon. Uh, while they are doing that, all right. Hello, hey, buddy. What's up? Hold on, let me get all adjusted here. Perfect. Hello. Yep, What's I can up? hear you. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Good. I'm good. It's good to see you. How are things going for you down there in Nashville? Oh, it's amazing. I actually have people, you know, my size, kind of. <laughs> what uh, do you when you fight? Is it is it 105 or what do you? 115. You fight at 115. Okay. Talk about that. Do you have a fight coming up? Um. We're currently talking to see if we can find me an opponent. Sometimes it's hard to find people, especially in this weight class. So it's always talks and negotiations. Okay. Do you think it would be can you, can you- a local promotion there in Nashville? Or do you think, are, are you are you willing to travel anywhere you need to go to to get a fight? Or Oh, yeah, I'm definitely willing to travel. And it'd be amazing if Dom and I could end up on the same card because then it's Two for one. Yep. Talk about what you do for the, and obviously you and I have talked about this at the Bulldog Arms show, but this is a, a lot of people who haven't heard the story, so don't be afraid to say something you've said before. Talk about the nutrition and the training and how you do that for your boyfriend, Dom. Are you doing that for other fighters in uh, Nashville now? Or talk about that, because that's fascinating to me, the whole nutrition and, and health work. And that's, I think, uh, a, a very underrated part of training. When people think training, they think 
getting in the gym, hitting the heavy bag, rolling, lifting weights, the nutrition is, is I think, a massively underrated part of it. Yeah, you can't have, uh, you can't expect a race car to run without the fuel. So I currently have three fighters, including Dom, and then I obviously do my own nutrition. Um, I do their macros, so their carbs, fats, proteins. Um, we do weekly check-ins and just kind of keep them not only losing weight, but fueled for training. Because I think that's something that people don't look at is that you don't want to go into training feeling like shit all the time. You're going to get injured. You're not going to want to train. Carbs are our friend. Um, so it's really about learning how and when to fuel your body. All right. I know she has to get out of here in a few minutes, but Lee and Maha, do you want to ask her each, each a question? Yeah, Dom, Dom had mentioned... Oh, yes. Ahead, hmm. No, I was just going to ask, like... Um, would you be willing to, to put a nutrition plan in place for the Punch Face VIP podcast? Absolutely. <laughs> would you ask? I think we could all benefit from that. <laughs> if, if she was Good, willing to put together a, a nutritional uh, uh, plan together for the Punch Face VIP podcast. We are going to uh, we um, all. Cat's gonna have all three of us lose twenty uh, percent of our body weight over the next three months. I would, uh, I would love that. Easy peasy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, Lee, did you, Lee, did you have a question? Well, so Dom and I were talking before the show, and uh, he said you you had an injury. You broke your leg. How, how's that affect like? I training and getting ready to have another fight when you've had something like that happen. Yeah, there was a big mental block, especially at the beginning, because it happened off of a poorly executed takedown. Because despite the fact that I think I'm 6'2 and 200 pounds, I'm not. <laughs> um, so I can go flying pretty easily. And it ended up snapping my leg straight into my knee. Oh my god! And yeah, it was a it was a fun time. It was it right was when the blizzard hit, December of last year. Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, it ended up tearing my ACL too. Oh wow! Holy cow! So when when we met for the first time in April, were you you, you weren't in crutches or anything then, right? It seemed like I I don't remember that. I was supposed to be. I uh, yeah, that's the cat that I know. <laughs> I was technically in the gym two days later. I would have been there the next day, but Dom wouldn't drive me. That's the, that's the cat that I know. Because I was to say, I met you in April of last year, and I don't remember you being in a walking boot or anything. So, yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. All right, I have one more. Is, is this one more question okay? Then we'll get you out of here? Yeah, you're good. I'm sleeping with the coach, so I can be late for practice. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, we have to have you guys on again soon. This is um, um, my question is: as a female fighter, you work with female fighters. You work with male fighters, obviously. One thing that we talk a lot, uh, since this is primarily a betting show, is that there's certainly there's there's an edge to really betting any MMA fight if you put the work in. 
listen to math, uh, listen to the ad ad advanced analytics and all that. But women's fights are no notoriously more difficult to handicap than men's. We see women's fights go to split decisions a lot more often. And one of the things that I say, and I always kind of have to you know, make sure I don't get canceled or anything or, or, or say anything that I, don't, that I don't mean, but I will respectfully say that the, um, women's MMA hasn't evolved to the level of men's MMA. And it seems like there's a lot more parity in women's MMA. That's why we see these close fights. There's less finishes. What do you think the state of women's MMA is now? Obviously, it's been around forever, but we saw it take a giant leap with Ronda Rousey. We saw it take another leap with Amanda Nunez, the Chris Cyborgs, the uh, Zan Weili out of China, and others. Now we have this new blood like Aaron Blanchfield, uh, Fioro out of France, Tatiana Suarez, who they call the female Khabib, where do you think women's MMA is at now? And where do you think we see it in five years, 10 years? And as someone who's very invested in that, what are some steps that you'd like to see them take? I think the big thing, all that. I, I think the big thing with female MMA is most of us, a majority of our training partners are male. So we have to be highly technical in everything that we do. So they're going against someone else who is just as technical as that. So I think that's why we see so many of those decisions is just because there's so much technique on both sides. And I think something I'd really like to see, honestly, more shit talking. Yeah. There, need, there needs to be some personality. Good. Like, good. I, yeah. I mean, look at some of the personalities we have in men's MMA. I mean, Conor McGregor. As much as I can't stand him, Colby Covington, Sean Strickland, another one I can't stand. But, like, they get you talking. Whether you're rooting for them or against them, you're invested. Yeah. That's that's well, that's fantastic. And I know that, you know, you talk about – and it's, it's – it's, I'm not going to uh, virtue signal or anything here. But I think it's, some of it is, is, is maybe if a girl starts talking shit that's – frowned upon as whereas like you said when colby covington or sean strickland are saying really offensive things it's like oh that's part of the fight game if amanda nunez gets up there and starts talking about chris cyborg's dead father i think you're exactly right i think that that would be much less received and celebrated than when a Strickland or a Cummington says it, that is really good. And yeah, when you think about so many of these female fighters, they're very respectful and nice. I do my talking in the cage. That was fantastic. All right, whichever one of you talks first, Lee or Maha, jump in a question, then we'll get Cat out of here. I I I I had never thought of the female MMA like that. that like really I good. like a female Conor McGregor had never occurred to yeah. me. So, like, kudos to, for you, for, to you for bringing that up. I'll let Lee ask a question, but I just, like, I literally, like, my I've never thought about that either. Never, She's exactly right, though. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I literally had never thought yeah. about that. Like, how there's no shit talking, there's no trash talk, there's not, like, there's always, like, a mutual respect between females that are fighters. But, like, let's get somebody in there that, like, really wants to mix it up. Yeah. Because Ronda Rousey did it. She was a shit talker. She was a bitch, but she did it right. Right. That's very good. That's very good. All right, Lee, uh, Lee, um, one word question we'll get well, out of I, I mean, I got more of a comment like Maha just did. I, I mean, you know, 
I'm glad that you brought that to us because that's something I, I never thought about. Like, you know, as a female, you're training with other males. So you have to be very technical. And so now you have, you put two women in the cage and they're both very technical. And, and that might be why we see more of those fights go to decision because, you know, there's, there's two very technical people, you know, in the, in the ring where, you know, the, the, the male fighters are, are male. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, no, we, Thank you very much for, for you and Dominic coming on the show. Uh, you know, we love you guys. Much love. Uh, so glad you could be part of the first show of the rebranding of Punch Face VIP, uh, the most accurate MMA podcast uh, on the market right now. So thank you very much. Much love. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank Kat. you. Yeah, we uh, we love you and Dom a lot. Um, hopefully, uh, tell uh, Dom thank you, and we will have you guys on again soon. Enjoy the workout, enjoy the training session, and we wish you guys the best. We're always rooting for you. So, thank you. All right, that was fun. If you are in the Quad Cities and have come to the live shows at bars around town there, or You've watched our streams all over the world. You're familiar with Dom and Kat. They're two, two special people. The Lee knows that. Maha was your first time meeting them. But yeah, they will be, I believe, a staple of the show going forward. I would like to have them on maybe once a month, if not, if not more. So thank you again to Kat, the Lioness, and Dominic, the Heat, Martin. That was fun. Did you guys enjoy talking to them as much as I did? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah, it was... uh, from the live shows, you know, I, I'm behind the scenes, so I don't really get to uh, uh, talk to them as much. But it, it was great interacting with them. Uh, it was actually great hearing, you know, Kat's take on female fighting. So I, I have a totally new respect for it. Not, yeah, not that I didn't respect good. female fighters, just, you know, I, I have a new respect for why they go as long and why they a lot of them go to decision if we would have had a little more time i wanted to ask cat about what it's like cutting weight when you're on your period and see lee get queasy uh but we didn't have, we didn't have time <laughs> It was one of the live shows or something. I thought it was fascinating. Well, so I'm like, sitting there. It's something you don't think about. I, I mean, women have water weight gain, and then they're trying to lose weight and cut weight, and their body's working against them. I thought I was having a period when I woke up right before the show and said I just needed to take a really big hunover dump. But uh, that was, uh, that was, uh, <laughs> thought I was having, thought I was. Mill period or something. I don't know. All right. I'd probably get ahead and say that to Kat. But uh, um, all right. So let's get into the bets. Let's. This is weird. And really the only time once a year where we'll be able to say we've had a month off. So this is, yeah, it's, it's, it's very rare. Maha, if you can remember... Let's touch on our last card. It feels like it was ages ago because it was ages ago. 
it was a good part. I made some money. Um, there was a couple landmines. We certainly won far more than we lost. We got both main events right. I liked Leon Edwards a lot, uh, which was interesting. And that's just why you listen to the math and follow the math. I know that when this fight was announced, right after Leon beat Usman for the second time in London, Dana, I think, within hours, had announced that Leon would fight Colby. And I was like, man, I think uh, Colby's Colby's finally going to win a world title. And then it took, what, about nine, about eight months for them to put the fight together. And the more that I dove into it, the more that I followed the line movement, the more that I analyzed it, I was like, no, I think Leon, Leon's the side here. Leon was the side. He won four rounds to one and looked dominant. And this is fascinating. And this is just the fascinating part of MMA and how it really is a game of inches. And we're talking about Leon Edwards, a guy that no one really took seriously most of his career. Even as recently, even as recently as what, a year and a half ago, guys, if I would have told you Leon Edwards would be number three pound for pound in the world, and we'd be talking about a guy who's already a first bout UFC Hall of Famer, you would have called me crazy. But he really is. I, I mean, he beat the previous best in the world twice, and now he's beaten Colby. I mean, he's going to fight Bilal next. Uh, we uh, probably beats Bilal. I think that the best four fighters in MMA are Volkanovski, Islam, Leon Edwards and John Jones. That's your that's your Mount Rushmore, and there's really not much debate to that. And the the best four in the world, it, it definitely drops off after that. And then the rematch with Pantoja and Roy Val. Roy Val had his moments, like we thought. Pantoja won the vast majority of the fight, like we thought. So both of those went well. Maha, what were some of your highlights from? the last card, which was a whole entire month ago. Right. And I had to refresh my memory for sure. I had to like go on topology and be like, what was that fight again? Um, I think we were all heavily invested in Shabcat, Rachmanov. I mean, I think that was predetermined how that fight was going to go just based upon, you know, Wonder Boy's previous fights. Um, you know, you know, he was he was prone to be getting take to, taken down. He was prone to submissions, um, and that's exactly what happened. Shavkat, probably a future UFC Hall of Famer, champion. I'm a big Shavkat. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm a big Shavkat yeah. proponent. Um, and he got it done exactly like we thought it was going to go. Yeah, I wouldn't say exactly like we thought. I know that when you look at guys like Bilal Muhammad and Gilbert Burns who took Wonderboy down at will, Shavkat was able to control him against the cage but really had trouble finding a takedown. Did not take him down, I don't think, once in the first round. 
held him up against the cage, didn't take him down once. And then finally in the second round gets the takedown. And it wasn't even that great of a takedown. It was kind of Wonder Boy was half up, half down, but then Shavkat was able to sink the choke in. The fight was over. Then it comes out after Shavkat had a very bad injury that he was fighting through. I don't know how much I read into that. It seems like every time that a fighter, you know, win or lose, doesn't fight up to their potential, we hear about, oh, there was a bad injury. Who knows how true that is, but I'm glad that Chav caught one. But I didn't think it looked as dominant as we have seen him. Do you agree with that, Maha, or what do you think? I do. I mean, I mean... At the end of the day, Steve, you know, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is a good fighter. I mean, he's a he's a, a unique a unique fighter. You know, he um, you know he has that karate style that a lot of people can't deal with. So it it, it is like a conundrum to some people. And maybe Shavkat wasn't ready for that. Maybe it took him a while to figure it out. But he, you know, at the end of the day, he got the he got the takedown. He got the rear naked choke. He got the you know he got the win. Yeah, and even though it was a month ago, that fight is still pretty fresh in my head. I don't remember Shavkat striking with him really at all, which was interesting because one of the things that makes Shavkat so great is that he's well-rounded. He's he's absolutely mm -hmm. – he's not guys out bad. He His last fight was with Jeff Neal. And he struck with him, and that you know was good and bad. He would he would he would rock Neil, then Neil would rock him. So does he? He obviously wrestling is his A side, striking is his B side. He does strike well, but you know it seems like he's still he will always be a wrestler first and foremost. Which I think is, I would put Islam in that camp, even though Islam is a very good striker. He just absolutely, like Dominic said, kicked the face off the face of Volkanovsky. I think, you know, when it really comes down to it, his base is always going to be wrestling. I would say Volkanovsky is the opposite of that. I would say Volkanovsky is a striker, A mm -hmm. side, but still a very good wrestler on the B side. So that was just, that was weird. I mean, obviously, Wonderboy is one of the best strikers in the division. Shafkat didn't strike with him at all. Was that the injury? Does he not trust his striking so much since Jeff Nil did hurt him a little bit? I don't know, but we will see in the next fight. And what do you think Shafkat does? Does he just wait for the winner of Bilal Leon Edwards, or does he take a fight? to stay fresh or does he recover from this injury and just wait for a title shot? Because it's, I think that he's got to be next up for the title after Leon. Has it, uh, so forgive me. It has the Bilal title shot been announced? Yes. I think it may oh, it even be, it is booked uh, for 300. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think that the smart move would be just rest up, lick your wounds, and wait for the winner of that fight. 
Yeah, I think that's, you know, especially since that fight is happening relatively soon on UFC 300, which is in April. So, yeah, Leon's fighting a lot. And Usman fought a lot. Usman fought pretty much every three months, every four months on the dot. Right. And people say that was, you know, he was able to make a lot of money. But people say that was maybe the downfall of Usman is that he fought so much. So we're looking at Leon fought in December. Now he's going to fight in April. And then they're going to want to book that. If if he does get by Muhammad, they're going to want to book that Shavkat fight soon. So, yeah, a little concerned for Leon that maybe being a bit overworked. But... Lee or Maha, anything else that you want to cover from the last card? Anything that stands out to you? Yeah. So, so like, good on Leon. I mean, there was a time frame where he, like, during the pandemic, couldn't get a visa, couldn't get, you know, couldn't get into the United States to fight for a title. And he was the rightful, you know, he was the rightful number one contender, in my opinion. So, good for him that he's active. He's making his money, you know. Um the only other things I took from last card, um, I mean, I think we have to speak on Patty. You know, Tony Ferguson's a legend. He's probably nearing the end of the career here. Um, you know, but Patty's got all the hype, all the, you know, all the, um, all the flowers. So, I mean, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about that fight. Yeah. So, I bet Patty. I bet Paddy heavily in that fight, more heavily than I'm not even going to say how much I had on him. It was a lot. And I thought that he fought well. I was happy to see him go to the wrestling. I think that that had kind of been an issue, even though, and we, we really give this, I don't want to say we so much because I think we're, I don't think we're super hard on Paddy. A lot of the MMA people, the MMA culture just absolutely hates the guy. And we'll, we'll probably always hate the guy no matter what he does. He hasn't lost in the UFC. So we're really, we're really giving him a, a hard time for a guy that hasn't lost in the UFC yet. But an issue in really several of his fights is that even though he's a very good wrestler, had a wrestling advantage over most of his opponents, it took him almost getting knocked out before he would go to the wrestling, and that's a it's thin ice. It's a dangerous, mm -hmm. dangerous walk to walk. And in the Gordon fight, which a lot of people think he lost, got outstruck really badly the first two rounds. And then when he finally decided to wrestle in the third round, won the round easily. So I was happy to see him, without hesitation, go to the wrestling against Ferguson. And sure enough, found success, just like... Tony Ferguson's past several opponents have found success with the wrestling. So I like that gassed out a bit in the third round. And I was doing some pacing back and forth. I was doing some yelling <laughs> at my TV there in the man cave because it looked like we may see something out of a movie where Ferguson rose from the ashes and was able to finish him off. Patty found the takedown again. Good on Patty. Smart by Patty and really rode out the round on top, Patty was exhausted. What does that mean? Maybe wrestling tires Patty out. Maybe that's why he's been hesitant to go to the wrestling. Maybe the wrestling exhausts him more than the striking does. 
but um, would you agree that Patty looked like the the gas tank went to zero there pretty early in the third round? Does that concern you at all, Maha? So I think Patty kind of, after the fight, he kind of acknowledged that. Actually, pre-fight, he kind of acknowledged it. Like, let's not get up to 190, 200 pounds and try to cut to 155. Yes. That's a bit, that, I mean, that was a big joke. I mean, there were all the memes on online, on Twitter, on Facebook. You know, Patty blown up. He looked like he was, you know, my weight. <laughs> you know, so I think he's learned his lesson with that. He learned that, like, this isn't Cage Warriors. This is the cream of the crop. This is the UFC. This is you're fighting to try to win a world championship of the world. So I think he's kind of learned his lesson with that. Um, He scares me just betting him moving forward because, you know, as he progresses, he's going to, you know, fight better and better guys. And he just, he walks in there with his chin up and, you know, he's got the old style Irish, you know, like, yep, exactly. (laughs) You know exactly what I was going to say. And that scares the shit out of me, you know, to be a Patty backer in the future. But, you know, at the same time, like in this fight, I don't think he was in any danger just because I think Tony should probably retire. I mean, Dana White said it himself, like he should just, he should just hang it up and, and that's it. Yeah, I think what we see Tony do, because Tony has said that he's not going to retire. So I think what we probably see Tony do, he has lost seven in a row. I believe that is a record for the UFC. Usually it's three losses in a row, and Mm -hmm. you get your pink slip, you are cut from the UFC. So Tony losing seven fights in a row is pretty much unheard of in the UFC. I think we see him go to PFL. And I mean, who the fuck knows? I mean, may, I mean, <laughs> now that they've merged with Bellator, and I want to get into that real quick. I was hoping to get into that with Dom, but we didn't have enough time. In the old PFL, I think Tony could have won a million dollars. I mean, I, I mean, mm-hmm. who is the the one fifty five champion is now Olivier Aubin Mercier. So I mean, I, I think we could have easily a, a year ago. If it was the old PFL before the merger with Bellator, I think we could have seen Tony Ferguson go into PFL and certainly okay. finally win a fight, maybe even fight for a million dollars, maybe even be champion. We have now seen PFL merge with Bellator. So with Tony, I think he, I think PFL probably pays him a ton of money and we at least see him win another fight or two. Who knows? I think his days in the UFC are done. What do you think about the PFL Bellator merger, Maha? We have yet to see an event under the new PFL. I don't know what's going on there. I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You paid a ton of money for Francis Ngannou, who doesn't fight, uh, but he's got a boxing match with Joshua now. I don't think it's sustainable. I think we see PFL shut down. I mean, we'll definitely have some events that we're going to bet on. My hopes aren't high. I'm going to miss betting on Bellator. Maha's been around since day one of Punch Face VIP. He knows that we've done very well on a lot of Bellator events. I'm going to miss Bellator, RIP Bellator. They're saying that PFL might still do some events under the Bellator banner. I don't know what's going on. I don't think they know what's going on. (laughs) 
what are your thoughts on the merger? Because it, it seems like kind of a circus. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Right. And I mean, I'm kind of excited for like the first couple of fights, you know, the first couple of pay-per-views for the PFL Bellator merger, just because like you have the champions from both, you know, both if promotions going against each other. That'll, that'll be interesting. Seeing, are we going to see Kayla versus Cyborg or are we going to see, are we going to, are we going to see, uh, Ryan Bader against Hedden Ferreira, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's champion champ. I mean, I use the word champion lightly, but yeah, the champion versus champion fights are going to be fun. I just, I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I, I don't, and I don't and that's what they're banking. That's what they're banking on is like the promotability of like champion versus champion, like this promotion versus this promotion, because like, obviously like, I don't know if you watched like the, I mean, I'm sure you did, but I'm like on the last like couple Bellator PFL cards, they were always showing the other champion. Like, oh, this is the 155 champion for PFL. He's in attendance watching this 155 Bellator fight, you know? Yeah. So they're, they're going to market it hard. I'm excited to see some of the fights. Um, I don't know what the long-term longevity of it is. Um, but I mean, it should be entertaining in the short term anyway. Yeah. Whether you feel like it's going to, you know, breed long-term well, success or not. They have to do something so. to get $100 million back. Yeah. What did you say, Lee? <laughs> I said they got to do something to get $100 million back. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> it's it's more than that. I, I, obviously, they, they paid Nganu a ton of money. They paid Jake. I totally forgot about the fucking Jake Paul thing. That's <laughs> that's that's something I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's. I don't think they see a return on their investment for a while, if ever. Lee, I know that you bet the PFL card on Black Friday, did well on that, as we all did. What were some differences that you noticed between watching PFL, betting PFL, and as opposed to the UFC? Um, I, I mean, there's... I, I don't know. We kind of talked about it, um, you know, where it feels like they'll just pull a fighter off the street just to fill a card. I, I mean, yeah. I, it, it's it's harder, you know. It, some of the some of the betting apps don't have a line movement because they have no idea who these fighters are. I, I mean, so so as a new app better. I, I mean, it, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, that is a good that is a good that is a good point. And there were some sports books that don't even do lines for the PFL. And so DraftKings is a partner. So DraftKings will always have lines. FanDuel will always have lines. Lee, can you see Maha? Yeah. Okay, because I cannot. So as 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 long as one of us can, that means that he's being recorded. So all right, there's there's Maha. So I want to ask you guys a question. I'm going to run through some stuff here. So UFC 297, I believe, is next week. Just because it's not a great card as a fan doesn't mean it's not potentially a great card as a better. I will take great betting cards over great fan cards any day. But I am I'm a fan. We're all fans. So I am excited about some fights that have been announced. I'm going to run through some stuff real quick. Volkanovski, Topuria, Robert Whitaker, 
Paulo, Borkinia, Costa, Marab Divishvili fighting Triple C, Henry Cejudo. Taitu Ibasa is fighting Tybura. The most popular man in MMA, Ian Machado. Gary is fighting Jeff Neal. And then when we jump to UFC 299, or actually I'll just, uh, Maha and then Lee out of those fights, what is one that jumps off to you for UFC 298? Lee, do you have anything? Um, no, I, I don't really, nothing's really jumping out. Um, I, I mean, I, I haven't even got that far. I mean, still looking at 297. <clears throat> for... So for me, like the Ian Machado Gary versus Jeff Neal, that's an amazing fight because yeah. Ian, he's always been like the, you know, like stay back, counter punch, um, come forward when you need to, you know, but he's a technical striker and, 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 you know, they don't call him hands of steel for no reason. He's going to come forward. He's going to throw heat and he's going to knock, he's going to knock a lot of people the fuck out. Yeah. So that's an amazing fight because, you know, stylistically, they're going to stand, they're going to bang, and one guy's going to be standing at the end of it. So, like, that's an amazing fight. I, I love that fight. That's, it's actually the first time I heard about that fight. Like, I don't know how I missed that, but I, I missed it. Yeah. Was... Who was Gary supposed to fight? on the last card and it got canceled? That's a Lee question. Go to Ian Carey's topology. See what say, the cancel about was. And, unless was you guys want to talk about Ian Gary's wife. <laughs> I was going to say, like, <laughs> he, he may want to fight. He, he may have wanted to fight her. <laughs> to be a wag. So... Yeah, if this wasn't a month ago, I feel like we would remember pretty easily. That's going to bug me. I'm going to look it up. I'm looking. If... Lee's looking it up. All right. All right. So let's uh, – so, all right, same thing, Maha. I'm going to run down what we got. Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera, the rematch. This was just announced, and it's kind of a weird fight. Vincent Luque due to pneumonia? Oh, yeah, he's supposed to fight Luque. Yeah, due yeah, to pneumonia. To Luque. Oh, okay, yeah. And <laughs> – and he was actually supposed to fight. He was supposed to fight Jeff Neal, I think, like six months ago, and that fight got canceled. And I think that was when Magny stepped up, and I think he fought Magny instead of Jeff Neal, and kind of played with Magny. Could have finished Magni, but just didn't. Um, and so they've been trying to make this Jeff Neal fight for a while. Now they have. This fight's kind of weird to me. This is 299. Poirier, Benoit, Saint-Denis. Saint-Denis has, you know, he's, he's looked good. But when you look at the guys that he's beaten, you know, Matt Frivola, who's... No, no offense to the guy. He's a, you know, he's a mid-level guy. Thiago Moises, mid-level guy. Ismael Bonfim was a prospect that it seems was a bit overhyped. 
we've seen both the Bone Fiend brothers hype trains derail. So, I mean, you're talking about a legend in Poirier fighting Benoit Saint-Denis. That was kind of a weird fight for me. I thought Poirier would hold out for a bigger name. Gilbert Burns, Jack Della Maddalena, Blades and Almeida, Jan, Peter Jan versus Sonia Don. Kevin Holland is fighting Michael Page, who's coming over from Bellator. And we have, okay, and then and UFC 300, which is absolutely stacked. UFC did this with UFC 200. We had Brock Lesnar fighting on it. It was supposed to be Cormier Jones. That fight fell off due to John Jones getting popped for steroids. Isn't uh, Lesnar fighting on 300 also? No, no, I don't know. I No, not, I, I mean, I'm sure they'd be interested in that. They've talked about bringing back some of the legends like maybe trying to get Ronda Rousey to come out of retirement. I'm sure they would love Brock Lesnar to come out of retirement. They would make a ton of money on it. I think that that ship has sailed. Lesnar seems to be more than be doing the WWE. So right now, I thought we had more than five fights official for 300, but right now it's Edwards, Bilal Muhammad, Rakic, Prochaska, this was just announced. Charles Dobron Oliveira is fighting Armand Sarukian. Calvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling will be going up to 145. And the prospect, the phenom, Bo Nickel, gets Cody Brundage. What's a UFC 299 or a UFC 300 fight that's jumping out to you, Maha? Um, again, like I, I don't want, I don't watch like the future fights as closely as you do. But, I mean, anytime Bo Nickel fights, I'm interested. Yeah. And I'm not really... I, I don't I don't really ever talk about a fight card that's months away, but both UFC at 299 and both UFC 300 are absolutely stacked. But we'll talk more about that. And... So there, there's an article that came out at 8 o'clock last night saying that they have proposed to Brock Lesnar to return as a heavyweight main event. And he has not declined it. Against John Jones? Uh, it doesn't say. No, he wouldn't fight. He wouldn't fight. Okay. <laughs> he wouldn't fight for a belt. Yeah, I mean, the heavyweight division is interesting. There's, I don't know. I would say that Brock Lesnar could probably beat at least half the guys in the heavyweight division now, so... That's uh, that's interesting. All right. Maha and Lee, are you guys ready to get into the fights yes, for sir. Saturday? I'm more than ready. Let's do it. All right. What's the first fight? Okay. <clears throat> we ready? Yes, sir. Ready. First fight of the night. Felipe Buniz versus Joshua Van. So th there's no odds on, on the first couple fights? There are. Well, I mean, um, not, not on, the UFC website's not posting odds for the, the first two fights. Okay. If you pull up uh, if you pull up DraftKings or ESPN Bet or any of those, they will have they will have lines for it. Yeah, pull up DraftKings lines. Uh, so for that first one, um, DraftKings is uh, two hundred five to uh, Bunes. And Joshua Vaughn's 
minus 250 on uh, FanDuel. They got Felipe at plus 180 and Joshua Van at minus 235. Yep. Yeah, you could just say one of the sports books for, for each fight is fine. We've seen a little bit of line movement for Van, 198 to 250 on pretty much every sports book. That's that's interesting. A lot of the times, DraftKings lines and markets and line movement will be drastically different. It's all lining up. We're talking 198 to 250 on DraftKings, 190 to 250 on MGM, 195 to 250 on Caesars. He's pretty much 250 at every at most books. I think FanDuel, he might be a little bit cheaper. So both guys are prospects. Maha, do you have a lean here? I would, I would, I would, I would slightly lean to the favorite Joshua Van personally here. Yeah, I, I really like Joshua Van. I think he's I think he's going to be a good prospect for the UFC. I mean, he's only twenty two years old, so I mean that that in, that in itself is like you know, let him grow. You know, um, he's got good boxing. Um, I think he's probably going to get Bunez into good into deep waters. He's probably going to finish him late. Um, it's not like a heavy lean for me, but I I really do like him as a prospect. Okay, we are. Pretty much aligned there. Next fight. It is Tom Nolan versus Nicholas Mota. Uh, they got Mota at plus 275 and Nolan at minus 345. Yeah, Nolan rolls here. We're talking massive line movement. This is one of the ones where I think DraftKings got the line out before most did. So DraftKings kind of fudged the line here. They made him a narrow favorite at minus 140. He's been steamed to minus 345. BetMGM, a little less movement. They opened it up a little more conservatively at minus 250. He still jumped 100 points on BetMGM to minus 350. Similar story on Caesar Sportsbooks, minus 240 to minus 350. Yeah, pretty much every book, he's moved triple digits. Nolan's good. He's a good prospect. You look at his body of work. He's talented. I think that this is a fight that's set up for Nolan to win. Moda is not that impressive. I don't really even think that Moda is UFC level. Maha, what do you think? I'll agree with that. Um, Moda is probably not on the level. Lee, can you look up Nolan's professional record? Because I wrote down that he's only one and one and no as a professional fighter. I don't know if that's right or not. Um, but Moda, I mean, he fought Trey Ogden, who's primarily a BJJ player, and he was getting boxed up on the feet by Trey, not Trey Ogden. So, I mean, that doesn't bode well for you in the UFC. Uh, I probably don't think he's on the level. So, in the, um, in the UFC lightweight division, he's six and zero. Nolan is Tom Nolan lightweight division six and zero. I think that's his MMA record. I don't think he has. Okay. Yeah, he definitely doesn't have six. For some reason, I wrote down one and no. I don't know. I must have transposed that. But, um, yeah, that's true. That's yeah, a record that's listed on UFC that doesn't say if they're UFC fights or not. Oh, it's probably his professional that's, fights. That's, that's his MMA record, yep. yeah. Okay. So I, I didn't think that was right when I looked at it. I was like, there's no way that he's a, that heavy of a favorite. He's only had one professional fight. Um yeah, I think he probably keeps him at a range. He probably does some damage to him. He probably gets him out of there. Yeah. I think that Yeah, I think that it's 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 two things for me and I think the line movement agrees. I think that 
I'm a believer in Nolan, and I also just want to fade Moda against pretty much anyone in the UFC that he fights against. What's the next fight? Weston Wilson versus Gene Silva. So that's interesting. Uh, Wilson's at plus 700. Silva's at minus 1,100. All right. Um, Weston Wilson is the lock of the century for me. I'll be betting at least a grand to turn a grand into 7,000. I'm obviously kidding. I, I don't I don't need <laughs> a bet like that in my life. Four-digit favorites or four-digit favorites for a reason. Not only do we have positive line movement here, if you look at four-digit favorites, that's minus 1,000 and higher. In the UFC, they win at roughly a 96% clip over the past three years. We do see these massive favorites lose in Bellator and PFL or other smaller promotions like when you're able to bet Cage Warriors or LFA or something like that. They do not lose in the UFC. Four-digit favorites are four-digit favorites for a reason. We have seen Silva move from minus 800 to minus 1,100 on DraftKings. That's 300 points. We've seen him move 100 points on MGM. Silva is set up to roll here. Wilson, similar to Moda, I do not think is UFC level, and I think that Silva has a pretty high ceiling. I think Silva rolls here, and I think Silva finishes him here. So I would not only bet Silva to win, I would bet Silva to win by finish. Maha, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I, There's not much to say about this fight. I mean, Wilson, he probably, honestly, he probably got this shot because he's a primary um, training partner to Stephen Thompson. Um, karate, you know, karate background. I think Silva probably stays back. He probably keeps him at range. He probably pieces him apart on the feet. He probably gets him out of there. Yeah, and I think it's one of those styles make fights thing where Wilson is more of a striker and Silva is more of a uh, wants to fight on the grounds. And I think I just I just I just think that the thought process here is that Silva gets the fight where he wants it pretty easily. Would you agree? With yeah, me? he's probably better everywhere, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah, when you look at it kind of varies book a book as far as there hasn't been a ton of movement for yeah yeah line movement's pretty stale for whether fight goes the distance or not but yeah I think I will be very surprised if this fight goes all 15 minutes so not only would I plug Silva in parlays at that massive tag I would look to shrink that a bit by just taking him to win by finish. Are you okay with that, Maha? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's good with me. That's where I'm at. Okay. I did enjoy seeing the look of confusion and shock on Maha's face when I was saying that I was locking in a plus. <laughs> so I, yeah. I was looking at my sheet. I was like, hey. <laughs> I was like, am I, am I not Were reading you... the same thing everybody else is reading? <laughs> Well, you, well, you know, I don't guy. look at odds beforehand, so like I have no idea. I'm like, you wait will, a second. You, yeah, I don't, <laughs> you cannot you FNG. Probably. You cannot fuck with the new guy. <laughs> you will, yeah. Anyone who's been watching this show or 
following me for a while knows that I will, I will, yeah, I will, I will never, never make a bet like that. Even things that I'm fairly confident in, like I, I liked the Tyson Fury in, in Ganu fight. I loved it to go, I think, over five and a half rounds. I think I had maybe like 1,500 on, like, goes over five and a half rounds. And I really liked, I mean, I definitely liked fight goes to decision at, like, plus 600. Even that, I maybe put, like, 200 on it to turn 200 into, into 1,200. And that's rare. I mean, I, I will, I I have to really, really, really like a massive underdog to even put 200 on him. So, yeah, I mean, favorites are favorites for a reason. And that's how that goes. All right, what's the next fight? Fareed Bashrat versus Taylor Laplace. Bashrat is at minus 270, and Laplace is at plus 220. Hey, excuse me. Um, Bashrat, as usual, has seen a good amount of line movement. Bashrat is a difficult guy to get super invested in. We ran into this on the Abu Dhabi card back in October. And it's really the same thing. He, the line movement said that he was a lock. I was certainly heavily exposed to him. He fought, oh my gosh. It's, if one of you guys wants to look that I'm up, looking. I literally see his face in my head. This was the guy who Victor Henry. Yeah. Victor, Victor Henry. He narrowly won the first round, but it was close. And that's the thing that Basharat does. He gets in a lot of close fights. And so even though I love the line movement going from 198 to minus 270 is a great line jump. That makes you very interested. Even better on BetMGM. He's minus 170 to minus 300. These are great. This is music to my ears, but Basharat, he did the same thing against Henry. And then in the second round, he kicks Henry in the groin. Henry cannot continue. And, man, I'll be honest, a little part of me was relieved that that fight ended because Basharat, for as much as I had invested in him, was not looking as dominant as I wanted him to. And that was one of my fears going into that fight, that he just, he wins fights, but he rarely, he rarely makes it easy on you to bet him. So I'm going to have to bet him again decently here, fighting Lapalus. There's not much Lapalus does that impresses me. And again, Basharat. He can strike. He can wrestle. He's very talented. He's one of the top prospects in this division, in the UFC. But it seems like he makes fights closer than they should be. I like him. He's probably a lock. But I'm not looking forward to the heartburn I'm going to get from watching this fight. Maha, what do you think? I, I totally agree. So, I wrote down, speak on what you spoke on. So, well, firstly, I'll say that 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 he's probably the better of the what I've coined the Bash brothers, you know. Um, 
he's got solid grappling, solid striking. But I wrote on the Lapalus side, I wrote closer fight than any, anyone would think. And that was kind of what you were speaking on. Like Bastrat, he kind of fights to the level of his opponent. Um, I think he wins. I, I actually do think he rolls here. I think he's super talented everywhere that the fight would go. Um, but I don't like that, that he makes the fight so close. Yeah, it can be, it can be frustrating. And I, and I think that, you know, there's pros and cons to both. And you know what, Maha, we are, so it was, and I'm glad you brought this up. It was the other Bash brother who fought Victor Henry, and it was a very close fight. So I don't know if we need to edit this out. I will gladly, if if I make a mistake, I will I will gladly own it. So this, can, if anything, can maybe be a learning experience. I'm fine leaving this in. So the one who fought Victor Henry back in October, that was the other Basharat. The brother. Yeah, so that was Javi. Breeds undefeated. Yeah. And 11 and now. Javid is also undefeated, even with that draw, but Javid is not the one fighting. Fareed is fighting, and Fareed is a little more explosive than his brother. Like you said, he is uh, both both guys are good, but so I actually feel a little better about betting this fight now that I know it's the other brother. That's my slight mistake. They do have similar fighting styles, Javid and Fareed Basharat. Not only do they have the last name, they have super similar sounding first names. So <laughs> that makes me feel a little bit better about locking in Farid Basharat as I think he a little more explosive than Javid is. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Maha? Were you were you thinking this was the same guy that fought Victor back in Oct Oct October two or what was going on there? I don't I don't have that total recall like you do with you know like naming the month and year of every single fight ever. So I wasn't really sure, but I did know that he was probably the more, the more talented of the two brothers. Yeah, he's 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 just a little bit better everywhere. I mean, he's his his grappling's a little bit better, his striking's a little bit better. Yeah, I th like you said, he's a little little bit more explosive. Um, speaking on the Lapalus side again, he's got good takedown defense. He's going to keep it at range, um, and it's going to be it's going to be a close fight. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that, that that was a learning experience. I'm, I'm I don't think uh, obviously Lee can do whatever he wants to do as far as producing, but I don't think that needs to be edited out because I guarantee you <coughs> we're not the only people in the world who get Farid Basharat and Javid Basharat confused. So I think it's good to note that. But yeah, I think that Farid Basharat maybe plays with his food a little bit less than his brother Javid does, and so now that I know. Now that we're clear on which Basharat brother this is, <laughs> I like this bet a bit more. All right, next fight. It is Marcus McGee versus Gaston Bolaños. Gaston. Bolaños is Gaston. at plus 205. McGee is at minus 250. I don't know if either of you guys are big Disney fans. I don't know if I even, I wouldn't. Myself a Disney <laughs> fan, but uh, how's that song go? No one's tough like Gaston. No one fights like Gaston. <laughs> but uh, what uh, movie is that, guys? <laughs> uh, that is Beauty and the Beast. 
Points for late. All right. So I, I didn't have to Google that one. <laughs> I do not like Gaston in this fight. We've seen something interesting here happen from the. I think I don't, I don't know. Careful, I don't get canceled here. I believe he is an an like a albino black man. There's there's uh, he is a he's a he's quite an interesting looking guy. And Marcus McGee has really taken the division by storm. I remember breaking down his first fight with Militech. And this is one of the fun things with Militech is that he had announced a lot of these guys LFA fights. He announced Kamzat Chemaev's LFA fight before he went to the UFC. He had announced yeah, just just a just a ton of these guys. He he announced uh Cormier's strike force fights and so he was more familiar with McGee than I was, and I believe that Militech was a, even a bigger believer in in McGee early on than I was. I've seen more than enough out of Marcus McGee. This kid can crack, seems to be well-rounded, hasn't fought anyone in the top 15. I think that may be coming soon. We've seen massive line movement for McGee here. I like him. I like him a lot. I believe we're looking at what did you say his his odds? So we're looking at I think minus one twenty five to minus two fifty on DraftKings. His odds have essentially doubled. I like him. I love him. I believe in the hype. I think he's good. Do we see the hype train get derailed? Maybe, but I don't think he has much of a problem with Gaston Bolanos here. What do you think, Ma? So, firstly, I'll just speak on like Gaston's positive attributes like he he does have good muay thai he's got good boxing um i don't think he's on the level of mcgee mcgee he's got big power firstly he's fast as lightning um he absolutely dusted jp base in his last fight i mean he's just that this would be my most confident pick of the fight uh, a fight of the card okay um I I would I would back up the Brinks truck on McGee in the on this card. Yeah, I think that the the line movement is interesting. So I I'm more of a line movement guy than you are, Maha. But so we're talking about DraftKings minus one twenty to minus two fifty. That's great. But again, this is one of the situations where DraftKings put the through the lineup on the board earlier than other sports books because you look at FanDuel minus 340 to minus 265. So whereas DraftKings set the line way too low and 120 got seen to minus 250, FanDuel put the line too high and it went from minus 340 to minus 265. So does that give I, you I a little see. bit of pause? I mean, li line movement is huge, but it's not everything. We saw... Right. We saw Bryce Mitchell have massive line movement, and Josh Emmett starched him in about two minutes. And I think Bryce right. Mitchell still laying on the canvas unconscious from that. So, <laughs> so yeah, that gives me a little bit of pause. But just, despite varying line movement, you got to think McGee probably rolls here. But worth mentioning that 
great line movement on DraftKings has moved the other direction in other sports books because they set the line too high. Right, and I and I wrote I wrote banger alert at the top of this fight. I didn't mention that before. Um, these guys both want to stand and you know just stand and bang with each other. So, and that might be part of the you know the buyback on the fight. You know, if you open up at like a you know three to one favorite, there might be a little buyback if the other guy's a banger, and it's going to yeah. be a banger brawl type fight. I mean, if you're getting three to one on a fight and the other guy. You know, it's similar in their striking to this guy. I, I just, I really do feel like McGee's faster. He's he's a better striker. He's a better counter striker. Um, I just think he has more power. I think he's probably better in the striking just in general. And that's where this fight's going to take place. Yeah, I agree. All right. Speaking of Boehner alert, what's the next fight? Matthew Simmelsberger versus Preston Parsons. Parsons is at oh, plus one ten. Simmelsberger is at minus one thirty. That was a Freudian slip by me. Thank you, boys. I thought that the Waldo Cortez Arvlowski fight was next, but both fights are Boehner's. So, man, Simmelsberger was not really a lock. I think he was an underdog flip to favorite in his last fight, which we obviously like a lot. And so not a max bet, but Semmelsberger was a decent bet. It was frustrating, guys, because Semmelsberger went out there and rocked him. Really, the ref could have ended the fight. The ref let them keep on fighting. Selfishly, I wish he would have ended the fight, but, you know... To be unbiased, the ref obviously made the right decision because Samuelsberger's opponent recovered, ended up coming back and beating Samuelsberger. It seems maybe the book is that if Samuelsberger doesn't get you out of there in the first round, that he can fade. So we look at him fighting Preston Parsons. The line movement is relatively stale. Samuelsberger opened up at minus 130 on DraftKings. He's gone up a little. He's gone down a little. And he's right back to where he started at minus 130. BetMGM, basically the same. Opened up at 130. He's 135. Oh, seems like a stay away from me, Maha. Maybe if we see Semmelsberger do the classic Semmelsberger thing of looking strong and then not getting a finish, maybe I look to bet Parsons live, you know, later in the fight. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a good look. I'm... Um... So when I first just like, just the outside looking in, when I just like first saw that these two guys were fighting, I was thinking, oh, Simmelsberger is probably going to be one of my favorite bets on the card. And then like you were talking about, it's a cl way closer fight than I originally thought. Simmelsberger, I, I think he's a talented fighter. I think he has some mental lapses at times. Um, his cardio obviously isn't world class. He's He, he has a tendency to gas out. Um uh, Parsons, I mean, he's not, he kind of tried to, he tries to, in the early rounds of his fights, he tries to weaponize his pace. So maybe if he's able to have success with that, like he kind of wears Simmelsberger's out, Simmelsberger out early. He weaponizes his face. I like that, Maha. That was, <laughs> that was, um, um but he, but I know, I know what you mean by that, but to the, to the viewers at home, explain what you mean by that. 
I like that. That was, that was good. So, so I, I, I liken it to like, um, you know, the Diaz brothers. They're always like, you know, tip top cardio shape, like come at you. They're going to come at you until they have nothing left. And that's, you know, that's something where if you don't have the cardio and you don't have three, five, five round cardio or whatever, that's going to be a real problem for you because they're going to keep coming. They're going to keep being in your face. They're going to keep, you know, throwing out those jabs. They're going to keep throwing, you know, anything they have at you. Um, and um, Parsons, he tries to do that in, in some fights, but I, he's always there to be hit is the problem. Like he tries to weaponize the pace. He tries to be in your face. He tries to be throwing at all times, but he also doesn't have the cardio like the elite cardio, like, you know, like a Nick Diaz or, you know, prime Nick Diaz, I should say. Yeah. Um, and Simmelsberger, he, he's going to throw something at him, and I feel like Parsons is going to be there to hit, and I think Simmelsberger's probably going to find a knockout. Yeah, I think that's a good Early. Thing. I remember back in when Maha and I were in another chat, I won't say the name of it, but Maha knows what I'm talking about. I remember part, there was, um, uh, I mean, I could, I could, no, I, I could say his name. I don't have any ill will toward the guy, but there was a guy in that MMA chat who drove me freaking nuts. He would make these outrageous predictions, and I know that he told us that he trained MMA fighters. I think we all figured <laughs> that was not true. Maybe he kind of, maybe he trained at a gym with some of the fighters, but. He told us that he personally trained UFC fighters. I wouldn't. Do you, do you remember his screen name, Maha? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I remember this exact instance, what you're talking about. Yeah. But I had no idea oh, what his name was. Or, it kind of faded. Um, Clement. <laughs> that is him. Uh, he kind of faded into the oblivion. I don't. I, mean, I, don't, yeah, I haven't I, seen him around. I have. I have no Ill, Ill will against the guy. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to stir up hate for him, but. Yeah, a little bit of a ridiculous guy. Told us that he told us that he. Oh, he said uh, the. He told us he was best friends with the Diaz brothers, and I think we we found that that was uh, either a lie or massively exaggerated. But anyway, he told us that he was friends with Preston Parsons, and this was Preston Parsons' first UFC fight. He's fighting D Rod, Daniel Rodriguez, and he told us that Parsons was the lock of the century. He was gonna kill him, and Rodriguez just absolutely lit him up for the entire first five minutes of the first round. Like you said, Parsons has no issue taking shot after shot after shot. And really Rodriguez made him look like a child and beat him up badly. And then finally got Parsons out of there at the end of the first round. And this was a couple, oh, more than a couple. This was, oh, geez. Yeah, probably about two and a half, three years ago. I like to think that I've grown up a little bit since then, but I, I may have talked quite a bit of shit to, um, to Clement because I had bet D-Rod pretty heavily. And yeah, um, but uh, that's my first memory of Parsons was uh, he's best friends with this, with this Clement guy or whatever, but um, who knows if that's true or not. But then to his credit, Parsons did win his next UFC fight. He's more of a wrestler. So that's, the Parsons side of it. 
And I want to talk on Semmelsberger, Maha, because I think we may have been a little bit too hard on for the gas tank. We may have fell into some recency bias. When you look at Semmelsberger's record, yes, he is a big hitter, but he had three straight decisions before Medich kind of came back and got him. He beat Jake Matthews. Went the went went all fifteen minutes with Matthews. Matthews is, I would say, an above average UFC fighter. Goes the distance with Matthews, beats Matthews. Goes the goes the distance with Morono, loses to Morono. Goes the distance with Fletcher, beats Fletcher. Went the distance with Chaos Williams. Went the distance with Carlton Minus. He did have devastating knockouts of Witt. Everyone knocks Jason Witt out. Devastating knockout of Martin Sano. That was on the Volkanovsky-Ortega card. So maybe we were being a little bit too hard on the gas tank because if you can go to decision with guys like Chaos Williams, Jake Matthews, beat beat Jake Matthews, Obviously showed some cardio issues in that Medich fight, much to the chagrin of us that were betting him. Do you think we're overreacting to the to that last fight, or do you think that is the new normal for him that he will gas out? I, I mean, I I don't feel like he's like a you know one round and done fighter by any means. I I think he had has mental lapses against people, like he. Uh, he he'll like go for broken in spots that he probably shouldn't. Yeah. Um. But speaking on what you were talking about, like as far as this fight, when I saw it on paper, I was like, "Oh, Simmelsberger takes that fight easy." Like I, like I did not think that the line would be this close. I don't think Preston Parsons is on his level. I think he's probably going to knock him out. I think he's probably going to knock him out early, and Cardio will probably won't come into play in this fight. Yeah. Yep, I would agree with that. Uh, Maha, as always, you know, your your breakdowns are spot on. I can tell that you've done some research, and uh, I am I am proud of you. You were you were doing a great job. So, what's what's next fight? It is the legend Andre Arlovsky versus Waldo Cortez Acosta. Arlovsky's plus five twenty five, and Cortez Acosta is minus seven fifty. Thank you, Lee. All right, we have one of those immovable force. What do you call it? Uh, immovable object meets unstoppable. Unstoppable force. force. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Waldo Cortez Acosta, who, for all of the legend of his power and uh, everything, every fight is the same. He comes out. He has a snappy quick jab. He is obviously a fantastic athlete for the heavyweight division. He was formerly a pitcher in, I believe, either Cuba or Haiti. He was in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Really? Represent. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he was. <laughs> he was a, and he, he never made it to the to the show, right? He was he was a minor league pitcher. I don't think so. Okay. No, I don't well, think he did. But still, uh no uh no 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 easy feat to he was a very good pitcher, and then I believe due to injury or something, he made the interesting switch from being a very good professional baseball pitcher to a cage fighter. So, 
We see this in every fight. He comes out there. He has a longer range than his opponent. He is always quicker, more athletic than his opponent. He snaps the jab out. He uh, it'll 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 usually use jab 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 sets up an overhands. He will usually hurt his opponent. Fact check me if I'm wrong here, Lee, but I don't think he has any finishes in the UFC. Every fucking fight goes to decision. He looks great most of the fight. He takes way too many leg kicks. He shows zero desire stopping leg kicks because it's. I'll let you kick me in the leg and I'll keep punching you in the head. <laughs> By the third round, he can barely walk. And so he has easily won the first couple rounds. And then he barely survives the third round and wins the fight. We saw... And then, to make things more confusing, I believe it was his last fight. He The opposite happened. He finally paid for not learning how to check or avoid leg kicks. And he loses the first two rounds fairly convincingly. And then somehow finds a second wind and almost has a crazy comeback and finishes his opponent in his last fight. Who was that? Um, is Lucas uh, Brzezeski? Lucas Brzezeski? That was... Uh, <laughs> August what 26, was what, 2023. What's Waldo's, one, what's Waldo's one loss in the UFC? Uh, his one loss was his last fight, April 29th, 2023. Well, his last fight before the one you were just talking about. Uh, went to decision after three rounds. Um, then he won to the decision. Who beat him? Uh, it was Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Yep, mm -hmm. yep, I remember that now. And, yep, Rogerio de Lima won the first two rounds, and then uh, Acosta, yeah. So, we have seen massive line movement here. I don't I mean, I assume this is right. I'm just having to trust best fight odds here, but this seems a little unbelievable to me. Acosta opens up at minus 140 on DraftKings and gets steamed to minus <laughs> 750. Okay, man, may, okay, man. Should have gotten there early. <laughs> yeah, man, DraftKings is just painting some weird lines. And then on MGM, opens up at minus 400, gets steamed to minus 650. So, yeah, that is right. Minus 420 to minus 750. So... The book on Arvlosky, then I'll let Maha get into his breakdown. The book on Arvlosky for a little bit there was he's the easiest guy to knock out in the UFC. He was part of Francis Ngannou's rise to the top. I believe Overeem also knocked him out very badly. Basically, everyone was knocking him out. And then all of a sudden, he went from the Russian pit bull the kill-or-be-killed fighter to more of a technical fighter. And he started winning a bunch of split decisions, which was, which was I mean, I guess a credit to his his mind and his training. They, his coaches saw an aging fighter, and they're like, well, you still have talent, but you can't take a punch like you used to. Let's become more of a smarter fighter. 
So that was interesting. Was the beneficiary of a couple borderline robberies where he probably should have lost the fight. Close fight, but won a couple split decisions that he probably shouldn't have. Was that due to his like 80 MMA fights and <laughs> the respect that the name of Andre Oblosky brings? Maybe. Now we've seen a bit of a shift where it seems like Arvlosky's chin is once again gone and his little unexpected career resurgence of the past several years, while certainly a great story, seems to be done. And Arvlosky is back on the decline and quite possibly one or two losses away from being out of the UFC. It's pretty obvious what's going on here. This is young prospect against old veteran. Arvlosky is been picked by the UFC to lose this fight to continue the ascension of Waldo Cortez Acosta. It's hard to disagree with the narrative. But while I enjoy a good narrative, I really enjoy line movement. <laughs> we are seeing that in bunches on every sports book here. You probably not only have to love Waldo Cortez Acosta to win, as a good parlay piece, but to win by finish. Maha, do you agree with all that? I do. Um, all respect to Orlovsky. I mean, he's a former champion. He's 44 years old. And myself, as a 37-year-old, to think about fighting seven years from now in a cage with another complete brute heavyweight, that just seems unbelievable to me. <laughs> um that said, Orlovsky, I mean, he's been knocked out recently by Dante Mays, who probably isn't UFC caliber, really. Um, he's probably the king of dust as far as UFC heavyweights go at this point, unfortunately. I mean, I love the guy. I really do. Um, the things that, that Waldo... The things that could get to Waldo in a fight, leg kicks which Orlovsky's not a big proponent of. No, um, he, he never, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I do want to talk about that, and then um, and then I, I keep on going because you were doing great. Um, yeah, we so Orlovsky's not a huge leg kick guy, but do we see him maybe implement the leg kick because I don't know what world this would happen, but if Dana White called me tonight and he's like, hey, I want you to fight Waldo, Waldo, <laughs> Cortez Acosta <laughs> on Saturday, I'd be fucking kicking his leg because I that that is so I think that while Olaski isn't known for his leg kicks, we got to see you know he, he's certainly capable of kicking the leg. So and we have seen our our Olaski where he used to be a rock of sock and robots. We have seen him more of a planner, more of a technical guy, but. Uh, I, but yeah, keep on going. But I, that's interesting to me too, because even if you're not a leg kick guy, fighting Waldo has to turn you into one, you would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. But I mean, at, at 44 years old, like, how many new tricks can you teach an old dog? The old dog learn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, the other, the other path to, to victory, you know with Waldo is, is taking him down, getting him to the mat. I mean, Arlovsky's not, he's not going to do that. 
Um, so it's probably going to be a boxing match. And uh, Waldo, he'll, he'll come forward. He will have that strong boxing stance. His front leg will be there to be kicked. Whether Orlovsky pulls out a new bag of tricks and does it, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I would, I would probably highly doubt it. <laughs> yeah. hey, something, um, something interesting that I always like to look at, Andre Arbowski yeah. has a 77-inch reach, and Waldo only has a 70-inch reach. Really? Yeah. I did, I did see that. I did see that. I wrote that down, but... <laughs> I, I only at a certain point, I don't, I don't know how much he's going to be able to keep him out of the pocket. Okay. Well, I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Really, that was greatly. Like I, I forgot yeah, to bring that up. That's a great. That's a great find by you, Lee, and that's interesting to me because Acosta always seems to have a reach advantage on his opponents. Maybe that's because of his stance. It's so front leg heavy, and he really makes the most of his reach. Mm -hmm. A seven, a seven inch disadvantage, that surprises me, frankly. Right. And, and to speak on, like, you know, you were talking about him being a, you know, professional pitcher. Like, he literally looks like he's a professional pitcher in there. He's strong on that front leg, and he tries to bring that right hand around like he's literally throwing a baseball pitch. Like, he's trying to knock you out with every right hand that he throws. That's interesting. That's interesting. That's, um, that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, if you watch the show much, then you know that we will bet any division, male or female, but there are two divisions that you tread a little more carefully, and that is heavyweights and chick fights. So this is a heavyweight fight. Anything can happen. Insane, massive line movement for Waldo. He will be part of most of my parlays, but I would tread carefully. I do have a look for you here, Maha. Fight starts second round is basically double your money. Oh, I like that. I love it. Yeah. So so me and Lee, you know, we, we communicate a lot of these UFC cards. We're like, you know, kind of bouncing ideas off each other because we're not, you know, we're not professional betters. <laughs> Neither me nor Lee would claim to be. But I kind of like, I kind of like putting Waldo in your in your parlays and, and such. But then betting maybe as a hedge, like or a slight hedge, just to get some money back if Waldo just like implodes and doesn't get it done. Betting Arlovsky by decision, yeah. Because I don't see him getting Waldo out of there. No, no. But. You would probably get a pretty good line, like on a single, you know, like one, like a single game parlay, like putting Arlovsky over his strikes, and then putting like putting him over whatever amount of strikes he's set at, and yeah. also betting him by decision. You'd probably get a pretty good line on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly think that it's that it's possible. We saw, and I think this was Arlovsky's last fight. You talk about Dante Mays. Dante Mays didn't do anything for the first round, and our. Arvlosky had his timing down, he had his angles down, and wasn't a super dominant first round, but Arvlosky clearly won the first round due to essentially Dontel Mays not doing much. And then all Dontel Mays needed was one shot in the second round, boom, night-night. 
And so, and so, yeah. And I, yeah, I just, um, I like fight start second round a good amount. I'll have to dig into it more. Also, um, and next week, if you guys can remind me to announce this at the beginning of the show, obviously with Dominic and Kat, they were a priority, but, and just, you guys can announce it too. Let's keep telling people that the Discord is now freemium. That means that anyone can join for free. Tips are not only allowed, but in, encouraged and expected, especially when we have a good card and, and we make money. I expect that we'll uh, Zell or Venmo a tip, but it is free for anyone to join. So hopefully Lee can get a link to the Discord in there. And everyone watching this show, <clears throat> please join the Discord for several reasons. That allows us to hang out and talk, be one big happy family, and I will give my final bets for every UFC card on fight day. So for uh, Saturday afternoon, I will release my entire betting card, and you will see right now on a Wednesday night, I like Waldo to win. I like fight starts the second round a good amount which is basically a double your money bet a lot can change between wednesday and saturday so on saturday you'll get the final bets that i will be making so join the discord all right next fight it is phil halls versus bruno frajera frajera is at minus 130 and halls is at plus 110 all right Bruno. All right. We are seeing a massive underdog to favorite situation. Bruno Ferreira is plus 180 to minus 130. That is Phil Hawes is a minus 220 favorite to a plus 110 underdog. That is a 130 point line move. That is huge. And I get it. Phil Hawes is a very up and down fighter. Well, just based off the line movement, I like this fight a lot. And judging from, I think Phil Hawes had a pretty rough last fight. I like it. I like Bruno Ferreira a lot. Maha, do you agree with the line movement and a pow, 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 pow? Underdog flipped a favorite. Maha has disappeared. Um, Lee, can you talk about how, as long as you've been around, when underdogs get flipped to favorite status, that is something that I bet heavily, we bet heavily. Talk about your experience with that. Um, yeah, so I, I bet that heavily because, I, I mean, it's not so much a line movement controlled by, you know, we, we talk about sharks. You know, there's there's obviously something more going on than than the betters changing the line movement. Yeah. I mean, those are things you've talked about. Hey, Maha. Hey. <laughs> I'm back. Huh? Did you did you have to give someone their mail or did you have to, did you have to pee or did you have to get a beer? Both. Just, both. I just like took it all into my hands right here. I was just like, 
I'm going to distribute this mail and then distribute this urine into this, you know, okay. receptacle. Okay. <laughs> Carry on, Lee. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, those are those are the bets that uh, that I like to see uh, as far as line movement. Um, obviously, going with Bruno here. Yeah. Maha, do you have any insight on this fight? We've seen a pretty sizable underdog flipped to a decent favorite. So that certainly caught my attention uh, backing the Bruno Ferreira side. What what do you think, bud? I, so that's usually a strong indicator. I know that for a fact. But just, just stylistically, um, I, I, I circled halls on my sheet just because I think it's a very close fight. And, and the line as it currently stands would indicate that. So I agree with like the line movement moving to, you know, from a, you know, pretty distant fight, uh, you know, pretty distant fight to more of a closer fight. Um, I think this is like the second fight that I would say is like a banger alert. I think Halls, he's going to come forward. He's going to throw with bad intentions. Um KO is probably the path to victory for Ferreira as well. Yeah. So um, these guys are going to bang. I, I think they're going to bang. Um, Ferreira doesn't want to grapple. I think Halls has a little bit, a little bit of grappling in his game that could lead to a path to victory for him. Um, one thing that I did notice, I don't know if it was brought up because I was gone. Um, Halls does have a five and a half inch reach advantage, and I think he also has the grappling advantage. So that's somewhat of an indicator to me that Halls would be worth a bet. But again, it's a close fight. I wouldn't like back up the Brinks truck on it. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a weird fight. And I'm glad you brought up the wrestling. For a guy who looks like he's out of a superhero movie, we see him win most of his fights with his grappling. That's how he beat Kyle Dawkins, was by taking him down and kind of laying on him. That's how he beat the very talented Nasruddin Imavov, was taking him down and laying on him. We have seen him get brutally knocked out in three of his last four fights. He was Chris Curtis's at the ripe age of, I think, 30. Five, Curtis finally gets a UFC fight, and he gets Phil Haas. Phil Haas was a massive favorite. Phil Haas hurt the action man Curtis several times. And then Curtis had a crazy comeback, knocked Phil Haas out cold. Then he gets a fight in Duran Wynn. Duran Wynn is one of the most overrated hype jobs in UFC history. Phil Haas beats Duran Wynn fairly easily. And then Delize knocks him out in the first round. Aliskarov, who we're talking about. I mean, both Belize and Aliskarov are top 15 guys. And so, I don't know, man. His last win is against a massively overrated guy. That doesn't impress me. I think most of the division beats Duran win. I think most of the division loses to Delize and Aliskarov. This is hard. This is hard. What did we see Ferreira do? We saw Ferreira up and down. He beats an extremely talented fighter 
in Gregory Robo, Ro, Robocop Rodriguez, knocks him out cold, and he gets knocked out cold by an Eastern European prospect in his next fight. I have to pay attention to the line movement, Maha, but I agree with you that this is, this is, this is a close fight. Maybe the line movement knows something that we don't. Maybe professional bettors know something is going on in the camp of Phil Hawes, and that's why we're seeing so much, a ton of money. A ton of money has come in on Bruno Ferreira. We, we, we know that because we've seen a massive move. Why is that? Because I agree with you that on paper, this looks like a very close fight. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, in Hawes, when I, when I first looked at this fight before I watched any tape or I like, looked at anything... I thought Hall's like, he always seems a little chinny to me. Just like when I hear his name, I'm just like, that guy's a little chinny. So for, he could, he could totally knock him out. And I, and I agree with the line movement from that perspective. I just think that it was kind of like, I, maybe it was lined not correctly in the beginning. Um, I don't know. I, I have no strong lean. Can we, can we go with the under? Is that a thing? <laughs> Um, what's the line? What's the line on an under? You tell me. You're talking fight doesn't go, or you're talking like under one and a half, under two and a half. I gotta think this is probably a short line. Like, this, there's no way this is going two and a oh, half. Jesus, yeah. Uh, fight doesn't go is minus eleven hundred. Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured. I mean, that what is the like over under set at one and a half? There's already a minus eleven hundred bet that we like a lot in Silva, so I mean we have seen some decent movement here. We saw over on Bet Rivers is probably your best price tag. Open at minus six seventy. It's been steamed up to minus eight thirty five. I mean, yeah, don't go don't go too nuts, but throwing fight doesn't go in as a parlay booster. I don't hate it. Under one and a half, opened at minus 220. It's now minus 250. So, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. it. It's probably like, honestly, it's probably not like a bettable fight for me if you're just going like, if you're just thinking like a, uh, you know, a single bet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you, and that's, that's, again, that's um, a lot of trial and error goes into doing this full time, but I've learned to take my emotions out of it uh, when, when I see a plus 180 underdog get steamed to a minus 140 favorite, I, I have to bet it. I have to, I'm, I, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not betting fighters anymore. I'm, Betting numbers, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was and I was trying to be respectful of that because oh no, again, again, yeah. I, I, I never, I never look at the lines beforehand. Yeah. I'm just going from like a stylistic standpoint. Yeah. I'm going from like what I see yeah. the fighters, what I feel about the fighters. Yeah, I, I leave it up to you, and you know, I leave it up to you and Lee to no, tell me the numbers. Were, and, no, I, and I, <laughs> no, you were everything you said was spot on, and you're. Part of the reason that you're here, other than to make me laugh, is to uh, bring your <laughs> bring your different perspective. So no, I, I have I have no issue with you disagreeing. In fact, I I wish you disagreed a little a little more often. That uh, spices things up. So no, and everything you said is right. I I am betting numbers, not fighters here. I I have to back Bruno Ferreira. Um, it's worth keeping in mind that 
massive move on DraftKings from plus 180 to minus 130. Less of a move. I mean, MGM, he started at plus 110. Now he's minus 135. So, But then other books like Caesars, he's gone from minus 110 to minus 125. So not as much. All right, what do we have for the next fight? Ricky Simone versus Mario Batista. Simone's at minus 192. Batista's at plus 160. All right. Uh, best fight odds is having a little bit of a hiccup. I'm going to let you give your analysis for this fight first, Ma. Okay. Um, I mean, if anybody's watched a Ricky, Mo- Ricky Simone fight, they know what he's going to do. He's going to shoot takedowns. He's going to use his cardio. He's going to use. He's going to push a pace. He's going to use his ground control if he gets you to the mat. And he's just going to try to wear you out. And for Batista, I mean, his his best path to victory would be to keep it on the feet. Whether he can do that, I don't know. Um, he's going to have to defend chain wrestling because you know Simone's going to be shooting. He's going to be shooting, 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 shooting. I think that Ricky Simone is probably going to win this fight. I think he does it in the exact same way that I just stated. Um, but he's going to have to get it to the ground. He's got bad striking defense. If he stands with Batista for any length of time, he's probably going to get knocked out. Yeah, I agree with you. And we've seen a pretty massive move for Simone on DraftKings. We're talking plus 110 to minus 192. And, yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head. We know what the game plan is for Simone going into this. And I would tend to think that Simone is able to do exactly what he wants to do. So... Some decent line movement. There's a lot of line movement on this card. And I think part of that is these lines have been up for like a month with no UFC. And so these lines have had a chance to matriculate and ferment and marinate. Like you would marinate a piece of chicken or a, or a nice filet mignon. They've been marinating for a while. And so sharp money has been able to pour in. And so I think that's why we're seeing pretty decent line movement on most of these. Lee, did you like that uh, marinate analogy? I did. Man, my mouth is watering. (laughs) I was like, shit, I haven't had dinner. No, I haven't had, I I have, like I said, I, I woke up right before the show at like, 530 so i yeah i uh, i will be i'll be eating after this all right next fight it is the legend jim miller versus gabriel benitez miller's at minus 135 and benitez is at plus 114 yeah jim miller is uh just gonna fight forever apparently <laughs> i know that they're has been some discussion and he has shown some interest in fighting at UFC 300. We'll see how much damage 
he takes in this fight and how this fight goes for him. All right, on DraftKings. He opened up at minus 120, got bet all the way down to plus 130, and is now back out to minus 135. That's interesting to me. Similar situation on FanDuel. Um, I don't know exactly what happened there, but and then on Bet Online, he opened up as a dog at plus 120. He's minus 141. A lot to like in the Jim Miller story. He is um, not only beating other grown men up in the cage, he is beating Father Time. And it's been a nice little resurgence here. Correct me if I'm wrong. In his last fight, he set the record for UFC victories. I think he tied it. He tied it. I, okay. I could be wrong. I thought he tied it. Yeah, I think he, yeah. All right. So, I think a little bit of line movement for Miller, more specifically late line movement. I don't know why he was bet down to an underdog and then steamed back out to a favorite. But not only do I love line movement, I love recent line movement. And so that makes me like Miller quite a bit here. Maha, what do you got? Yeah, I mean, it's a close fight. And looking down through my through my notes, I wrote entirely too much about Jim Miller. I mean, the book's already been written on him, and I wrote an entire novel down here about him. <laughs> um, I mean... You were speaking on his last fight where he tied the record for most UFC victories or, or surpassed it. I don't remember which. He tied it. Um, and he, was, he tied it? Okay. I mean, he was fighting a low-level prospect that was coming in on short notice. Everybody expected in the win. He was a big favorite. I mean, that's probably a foregone conclusion. Uh, the fight previously, he was fighting a you know legitimate UFC fighter in Alex Hernandez, and he kind of got absolutely just beat pillar of the post. Yeah. Um, Benitez, he's not on the Alex Hernandez level. So, obviously, this is a much closer fight. Um, Benitez, he's got good hands. He's got good kicks. He's he's kind of getting up there in age for a 155-er. I mean, he's not Jim Miller age, yeah. but they're both. This is kind of like an old-timers fight for the 155 yeah. division. Um, I circled Benitez. I have no confidence in it whatsoever. Um Jim Miller's he every time I bet against him he's proved me wrong so I I probably don't want to bet I probably don't want to bet this fight. Yeah, so this is interesting to me. On every sports book we either see Miller open as a favorite, immediately dip to an underdog and then back to a favorite or we see him open as the dog on like Rivers for instance. He's plus 125 to minus 136 FanDuel Points bet plus one hundred eight to minus one thirty seven. Yeah, I like that a lot. I I think that Miller, I think that Miller rolls here, keeps the feel good story going. And like you said, Miller, whereas he is, will often be fighting these guys basically half his age, getting someone a little closer to his own age. He's got to love that because. He has found the fountain of youth, and, you know, he's, he's got to love fighting a guy close to his own age. All right, co-main event time. What do we got? 
Okay, so firstly, I want to speak on this because both the co-main event and the main event are actually rematches of previous fights. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. Um, so the co-main event of the evening, Matias Nicolau versus Manel Cop. Cop's at minus 278 and Nicolau's at plus 225. I'm glad that Maha mentioned that these are both rematches. And not only are they both rematches, they are both rematches of fights where some weird stuff happened. So, right. In this co-main, when these two fought a few years ago, Cop was the hot new thing. The 125-pound division needed new blood. Every title fight was Figueredo and Moreno. (laughs) That was literally every title fight. And so... Cop was brought in, I believe, from 1FC, and he had already been training with Cormier and Cain Velasquez and Luke Rockhold at Kickboxing Academy. And it was essentially expected that Cop wins his first UFC fight, and then he gets an immediate title shot. Nicolau threw a wrench into that. He fought Cop fairly close. Cop seemed frustrated by Nicolau's movement and didn't really throw much until the third round where he easily won the third round, but because neither guy did much for the first two rounds, Nicolau was awarded a somewhat controversial split decision. Since then, it has been interesting for Cop. He gets in close fights, man. He was a massive favorite in his last fight, and he won. But it was a 29-28. Could have easily been another split. Cop is talented. He's fast. I mean, he's, 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 he's probably the fastest hands in the division. Can make less than optimal decisions in the octagon. Maybe not the best cage IQ. Has all the talent in the world. The line movement's interesting. For a guy that literally was beaten... By this man in his last fight, we're seeing some serious line movement. Plus two, plus yeah, plus um, plus 170 points on multiple sports books. So I don't know. I mean, we saw Nicolau lose his last fight to Roy Val. I mean, maybe we're thinking that Cop is more. Comfortable with the bright lights of the UFC. And his game has advanced more in the past several years than Nicolaus has. How else do you explain this line movement and what's your pick here, Ma? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, 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 for all intents and purposes, I think cops look a lot better in his recent fights. Yeah. He's kind of living up to the hype that he built up for himself, you know, a couple years ago. Um, Nicolau... I, I've always been a pretty big fan of Nicolau. I mean, his last fight he got rocked, you know, get rocked by Brandon Royval, who doesn't really knock people out. Um, I think the cop wins this fight. I think I think the the split decision in the last fight would lend itself to him. Like, let's not leave anything to the judges here. Like, let's he, maybe he's got like a point to prove. 
Yeah. In this fight. So I, I do think the cop wins this fight, and I think he probably wins it by finish. Um, but Nicolau, I've always been a big fan. I think he could win this fight, but um, it, it, it's a pretty close fight either way. Yeah. Yep. I, yeah, I agree with that. All right. Main event time. Uncle okay, Live, the main event. Walker. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to take your job there. Um, well, what are the uh, what are the odds for the Ankalaev Walker fight? Ankalaev is minus five fifty, and Walker's plus four ten. All right. Like uh, Michael Maha was saying, some shenanigans in this fight as well. <laughs> A little more funny, uh, where they fought on the Abu Dhabi card. And it was interesting. It was close. I think for the first two minutes, Walker was having some success. Ankalaev was doing his normal frustrating thing where he had a clear wrestling advantage, but wasn't wrestling. He was trying to stand with Walker. To Ankalaev's credit, even though he doesn't wrestle as much as I think that he should, he did rock Walker, dropped him. He's on top. Looks like he's about to win the fight. He then plants a knee into Walker's head. That is legal when you are standing. That is not legal when you are on the ground. Walker is then asked by the doctor, do you know where you're at or what city are you in? They asked that to Walker to see if he was conscious. Walker goes, I'm in the fucking desert. The doctor did not like that response and called off the fight. That was weird. That doctor has, I don't think we'll ever see that doctor working at UFC <laughs> events again. He robbed us of what was an entertaining fight. We get to see that fight again. We have to think that it plays out similarly. Even though this is a light heavyweight fight, I basically treat this as a heavyweight fight and that anything can happen. And obviously I have to like the Ankalaev side. Again, I wish that he wrestled more. We're seeing... A lot of positive steam in Ankalaev's direction. I will be backing Ankalaev decently. And again, it's one of those things where I kind of have to put my own bias out the window and say, hey, we're looking at a 200, 200, 250, 180 line movement, depending on your book. I should be smashing this. This fight gives me a little bit of pause for multiple reasons. It, it gave me pause the first time that they fought. It certainly gives me pause again. What are your thoughts? Johnny Walker has a seven-inch reach advantage. Right. Which, speaking on that, and I think that we have always been big proponents of that, unless the other guy has a big wrestling advantage, yep. which Ankalaev has. Yep. But, but, and this is a big but, Will he use that wrestling advantage? Right. We don't know because he tends to fight to the level of his opponent. Yep. He tends to play with his food. Um, he might just stand with Walker and they might just have like a five round, you know, slugfest. They well, just kind of trading tit for tat. That's what he did a few months ago. I don't I don't think he right. shot any takedowns. The only reason that he got on top is because he found a right cross that 
rocked Walker and knocked him out for a second. That's the whole reason he was on top. So, yeah, um, I wish that he wrestled more, but it's not like he's an awful striker. He literally knocked down Walker with a very impressive cross. I just wish, and Miltouch talked about this all the time, I just wish that he used the wrestling more. And if he did use the wrestling more, that would make the striking easier because then his opponent has to worry about the wrestling. We saw this in the Blockowitz fight. He's a massive favorite. For some bizarre, unknown reason, he decides to stand with Blockowitz for the first two rounds, gets his leg absolutely chewed up, and then when he goes to the wrestling, finds a ton of success, and then the fight goes to a draw, which is a tie. It's just... He did this with Tiago Santos, where he decides to stand with Tiago Santos, who literally has two shredded ACL MCLs and is one of the easiest guys in the division to take down. We just saw who's that guy from Tasmania who won he won a million dollars with PFL last year. Uh, anyway, we saw that guy beat Tiago Santos easily. And that guy is nowhere near the level of Ankaliah. Rob this, Wilkinson. This is Rob Wilkinson. Very good, Lee. Thank you. So this is this is the book on Ankaliah. And there's pros and cons. The reason that he likes to strike is because he's a very good striker. But he's also a fantastic wrestler. So If I knew that he was going to wrestle, then I would gladly bet that number. I'll still have bets on him, but it it worries me because Walker does have outstanding power. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, it's a great main event. It's a great way to close out the card. And I'm glad that the UFC rebooked this fight. There are certainly big favorites that I like more on this card, but I have to respect the line movement. So like, subscribe, join the discard, join the discord. Lee, what are your thoughts on this card after hearing me and Maha break it down? Um, I, I, I mean, there, there's a few fights that are close. Um, I, I took quite a bit of notes. I've only got one Chauvin lock on here, and that's... Uh, uh, for the size of this card, that's rare. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to see uh, what gets posted on the Discord channel that is free yeah. for everybody right now. Uh, yeah. We, we, are, we went freemium. Um, so I, I'm anxious to see what gets posted, uh, you know, before the fight start at 4 p.m. on Saturday. Yeah, that's another reason to join the Discord, because I would say I have more like four or five locks. And so, but a lot of that depends on what happens in the next few days. So, yeah, I would say four or five things, maybe even six, that are close to lock territory for me. But join the Discord, and I will post my final thoughts on Saturday. Maha, any parting thoughts? No, Lee. So, Lee, I'm going to send you the Maha special three leg parlay. I'll send that to you later. Right, we'll talk about that on the next day. Perfect. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I did want to mention that, uh, you know, for all of our followers on this channel, 
uh, that we did rebrand. You're, you're going to see some rebranding. Um, we talk about, uh, you know, the, the days of Punch Face VIP and the, uh, uh, the Discord channel. And so we are rebranded. New year, new, uh, new show. Uh, so as, uh, as Chauvin said, like, subscribe, share, uh, share with all your friends, um, share the discord link because the discord is free now. So, uh, happy new year, everybody. Happy new year. Merry Christmas. Yeah, we are punch face VIP. Now we were trending in that direction. Kind of. Kind of uh, it comes to the shock of no one. Uh, we have been moving towards there. I greatly appreciate Lee and Maha doing this show with me every week. Thank you to Dominic Martin and his girlfriend, Katz. That was awesome. They've always been awesome. We will see them again soon on here. Like, subscribe, share with your friends, join the Discord. We'll see you guys next week for a big pay-per-view. But I like this card a lot. Even though it's a smaller, like, ESPN Plus card, I like it a lot from a betting perspective. It's going to be fun. Let's make some money Saturday. Join the Discord. Join the Discord. Join the Discord so you can get my final thoughts. We love you guys. Thank you. And we will see you next week. Bye. Rubbing on that Italian leather. Them convict jeans on. Hey, yo, Weezy, you ready? Get it in till the sunrise Doing 90 and a 65 Windows roll down screaming now Number one hustler getting money